0: this is the bema podcast with marty solomon i'm his co-host brent billings today i'm with el and reed to discuss the maternal images seen throughout isaiah
1: that's right and it's my goal for today not just to be esoteric not just to be philosophical but we got a practical side to each of these texts we're going to look at they're for everybody not just swimming. I would wither like a daisy if we were just going to talk philosophy for an hour. So that's not what we're doing.
0: We have a little bit of read. To I, should in in the conversation. I should take my leave. I should
2: take my leave.
0: I'll just go now.
1: There's room for that. I'm just warning and inviting in folks for whom that might not be the water they like to swim in. Don't worry. It won't be all that. There'll be some of it, though. So it's all good.
0: Okay. I said throughout Isaiah. That's not quite... It's all like second half that we're right. looking at here.
1: Right. Which is why this app is in the second half of Isaiah. We, can, we already argued about which Isaiah it is, so we won't return to that conversation. But we've got a series of maternal images. Brent is going to read those images, um, those texts to us, and then we're going to bring some stuff out. But before that... A little bit of uh, a little pause, a little definition of terms. Um, first question, this feels like catechism to me. Um, if we're talking about maternal images, that is imagery for a reason, right? Um, does God have a sex? My catechism says, God is spirit and hath not a body like man, <laughs> right? God doesn't have chromosomes. He doesn't have hormones. He doesn't have body parts. Nor a body like woman. <laughs> Thank you, Reed. I feel so included.
2: I had to to throw that
1: in there. You know, I was lost. I was alone. I was wanton without (laughs) being included. So thank you. Uh, So there is anthropomorphization of God in the text, but not specifically anything um, that's specific, which is interesting. If you pull out a bit because it's very normal in Near Eastern um, poetry and mythology. To talk about um the deities in those terms. And one of the shocking things about the biblical creation story is that there's no violence involved and no sex involved as well, which is usually terribly explicit and um quite the journey if you're reading the original myths. So, just that out of the gate. But one of the interesting things that we can also philosophically talk about before we look at the texts themselves is a different question. Does God have a gender? I sent off uh, reflection questions for Brent and Reed, so they shouldn't be shooting from the hips this morning. Do you have any hot take responses um, about the idea of does God have a gender?
0: My initial thought is always to go to... Genesis and the image of God, male and female, he created them. Mm -hmm. So it's like you you have to have both sides of that Mm -hmm. to encompass the entirety of God. Although I wouldn't say that even that is enough to encompass God, Mm
1: -hmm. but like
0: both parts, uh, both genders that we see in humans are a reflection of something. So you're
1: making the bold stance that women are made in the image of God, Brett?
0: I would hope it's not that bold (laughs) if we've read (laughs) our text at
1: all. Earth-shattering. Fantastic. But then I was thinking like
0: the actual pronouns that are used in the text, Mm -hmm. the terms are typically masculine. They are. Uh, You know, of course, we're going to look at a few that are maternal today, but typically masculine. And I was wondering if that is because of the uniquely Hebrew and Jewish view that God is one as opposed to a pantheon of whatever gods you may need to serve, whatever.
1: I'll come at your question sideways. It's a good one. Um, there is no neuter. So there's no gender neutral case in Hebrew like there is in Greek. Um, so if you're going to look at etymological, um, approach to this question, uh, you can certainly say that there is that um, lens put over the conversation that there's no middle ground in Hebrew to land on. Um, the Holy Spirit, ruach, is feminine. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, in the Greek New Testament, of course, uh, Holy Spirit is neuter, but in Hebrew, she's female. Um, but your correct pronouns for God in Hebrew are he 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 he, he, he unless we're looking at a um, a story or a picture or a metaphor in poetry, like uh, like we're going to today. Reid, you got anything um, simmering around in that brain over there?
2: <laughs> um. So i I agree with the Catechism that God hath not a body, is mm-hmm. not anatomical, neither male nor female. Uh, when I think about the idea of God being, like, does God have a gender? Is God masculine or feminine? Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that just begs more questions because masculine and feminine are, I think, kind of always culturally defined. And so what? Tell, tell me what you mean by masculine or right. feminine. Right. And are we—so when we say, like, is God masculine? Like, is God— uh, you know, rough and tumble like boys are supposed (laughs) to be, uh, or is God like gentle and nurturing like girls are supposed Mm -hmm. to be? Mm -hmm. Uh, I would, I, yeah, like yes to all of it. Like, and if you want to call it masculine, that's fine. If you want to call it feminine, that's fine. Those, those ideas are pretty culturally encoded. So,
1: right. Yes. The internet did tell me last night that, um, women are better students because women like to sit and obey specifically. (laughs) It's good to know. Good to know, Internet. Thank you for telling me that. Um, I mean,
0: honestly, I could use a little more sitting and obeying out of my boys. But (laughs) I was
2: going to say, as a father of only boys, I can say that they do not sit and obey. And so Internet must be true on this one.
1: Obviously, yes. I'll let you know when my daughter grows up exactly how... uh, how my anecdotal data pans pans out. <laughs> um, however, there is a little bit of wiggle room in both of God's names. Um, Adonai is a title, right? It means Lord. Um, it's a patronage term. But the two main names for God are Yahweh and Elohim, and there is ambiguity in both words for God's name. So, El, I thought it was Elohim. <laughs> I thought you had peaked. You had peaked last time with the six pillars of Hellenism. But now we've got.
0: Uh, you just, you know, you just got, bring out oh, the best of um, me, Al. Ah,
1: perfect. <laughs> See, that's why I come over. Um, okay, I'm going to need to recover. <laughs>
0: What do you think, Reed? Did that did that work for you at all, or is or are my jokes only good for L? I'm not going to lie, uh,
2: your actual audio cut out at the second that you made whatever joke it's you made, so it was actually...
1: to me to I... revel in the glory of how much <laughs> I was laughing at it. So, yeah, L O him.
2: Oh, <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, that gets a wah wah.
1: I, I loved it. I'm I'm 100 there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the ambiguity of God's names here. The Yud, the ya at the beginning of Yahweh is a masculine prefix. It's a masculine prefix we see in future tense, right? Because God's name has to do with it will always be right when he's talking to Moshe. <clears throat> so that's a masculine prefix. But the ending of that particular noun um, uh, or name anyway is a hay. And a hay is traditionally a feminine letter. So you've got this weird mix of a masculine prefix with a feminine suffix. And then, lo and behold, we have the same thing in Elohim, in that we do see Elim without the He um, in the text to describe gods. Um, but when it's referring to spiritual beings or God, it has the hay, which is feminine. And then it has an im, which is a masculine ending, pasted on top of that, um, which is against the rules. (laughs) It shouldn't be there. Um, It's not good Hebrew. Um, It should be elot if it was feminine, or it should be alim if it was masculine, but we have both. So even though there are masculine pronouns um, the whole way through, and I want to honor that um, and take that seriously, that put to the test between which the authors were going to use, they did go with masculine inherent in God's name is a little bit of ambiguity.
2: Are there other instances uh, like just of normal kinds of nouns or names where you have this mixing of masculine or uh yeah masculine and feminine like letters or prefixes and suffixes.
1: Yeah, great question. Um not very often, and when it does happen, it seems subversive like uh the author of Ecclesiastes who talked about a season ago, two seasons ago. Um their name is Kohelet, which is a feminine ending. Um and they or she <laughs> In my opinion, she seems to be using that um, satirically, okay. especially when she's talking about women. Um, okay, so it's it's trying to... It's that kind of context.
2: Right, it wants to draw attention to itself when it is happening.
1: Very much so, yes. It seems okay. to me anyway. I'm sure there's people um, with a significant education who would bicker with me about that. But those are just... That's just what's there.
0: I'm pleased to hear about the... Uh, complicated construction of the names of God, consistent with Genesis 1.
1: I mean, sure.
0: Male <laughs> and female, it's all, it's yeah, all in it's there. Yeah, it's
1: all in there, all in there. Uh, and then we've got Jesus is masculine, Holy Spirit is feminine, so you've got a nice little balance, something in between masculine feminine. Whatever that means, says Reed.
2: <laughs> I, I mean, really, truly, <laughs> like...
1: No, I totally uh, know what you're saying.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the other place that my mind goes with this is that conversation about, like, gender and God can't also help but be a conversation about just the way that language works and what we use language for. Mm-hmm. And, like, what's underneath the... Like, you've got your your word that is signifying... Some, like, a, a signifier. What's underneath that that you're actually trying to get at? Right. Uh, and to me, it's like a, a range of experiences... Uh, with God, with the divine mm-hmm. that are trying to be articulated and at times what is necessary and appropriate is something that is quote-unquote masculine and at times something that is quote-unquote feminine um, sure. both as people, you know, as you look backward on what your experience has been and thinking like language propels you forward to like live life uh, as, it's, as it's coming, like going forward into the future and so whatever is needed to like live Faithfully, as the people of God, like sometimes you need you know de- there there's a whole range of things that we have to say about God to uh embolden like a life of faith and yeah. it goes from all over the spectrum, masculine, feminine, all of it.
1: yeah, yeah, expressions uh, and we're going to dig into some of those boxes and in a little bit and say,, does mm, that really go with one box or the other? But before mm-hmm. we get to that conversation, Brent Billings, would you read for us isaiah forty two or an excerpt, not the whole thing.
0: indeed starting in verse 13 the lord will march out like a champion like a warrior he will stir up his zeal with a shout he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies for a long time i have kept silent i've been quiet and held myself back but now like a woman in childbirth I cry out, I gasp, and pant.
1: Okay, so we have got a classic Hebrew poetry excerpt here where we have a pairing of two things together, a parallelism. Um, sometimes some translations or some formats of our Bibles might obscure that by putting a gap there, um, but it's still right there, crammed right next to each other. So why might we have this pairing Of a warrior with a birthing woman thoughts.
2: I asked Leanne about this because that's, that's my wife. She is a woman and and she has, she, she has. Um, And she said, well, it makes sense to me because I have never felt more powerful in my life than when I gave birth. Uh, And at the same time, I, she said, I've never felt more like nurturing and caring than I did when I gave birth mm-hmm. And you know when my, my new baby Was right there And so in some ways and, and like uh I was remembering her giving birth to our children Uh With our firstborn She didn't want any of the Like drugs or anything mm-hmm. You know she wanted to feel it all to mm-hmm. prove to herself That she could do it And I will tell you that like there is something That is very primal And raw and tough About that experience mm-hmm. like you know what I'm saying, and so like maybe, like there is definitely uh, some interesting contrast in a warrior uh, stirring up his zeal and a woman giving birth, and I think there is also uh, some some interesting similarities uh, that those things are complementary as well as contrasting.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that.
0: Yeah, Maggie made the same decision to have our first without any drugs or anything, and. Yeah, I would say the the shift from the, you know, the warrior stance, and then that moment of birth, and then that immediate change, like the fact that these are back to back, makes perfect Mm. sense in that context.
1: Mm, Yeah, ooh, I like that. I like that, Brent. Ooh, good stuff. Okay, I'm totally there with you guys. Totally agree. Making a little bit of space that everybody's birth story is different um, and everybody experiences that moment differently. Uh, however, a couple other things I want to draw out from what you guys said La- lauding, I always want to say louding, but it's lauding your wife. It's just <laughs> beautiful. I love it. Um, okay, uh, one thing if you are in battle, as i've heard from friends who have been in battle um you are totally in the moment <laughs> got to be zoned in you're not thinking about anything else other than mm. whether the room's been cleared um mm. etc you are there and um at least in my experience of birth same thing you know you're not making a to do list on your phone Past <laughs> a certain <laughs> point anyway i uh my last experience like watching some watching some HBO, chilling out for quite some time. But um <laughs> not uh not at the end there. At the end there you're totally in the moment, totally present. And then I like what you um mentioned there read about there is some contrast as well, right? Because a warrior is risking life in order to defend life. Um and the a mother is risking life, right? Her life. Um, still today, but especially historically, in order to bring in new life. So one risk life to defend life, one risk life to bring in new life. Okay, second question. I promise these are going to come together. Uh, But how does God create and make change in the world? Think about Genesis 1. We're being a little uh, classically Jewish here with our learning hermeneutic of how are these things connected? Where are we going? These feel like random questions. They can all come together. Uh, well, speaking
2: yeah. is that is that the answer you're looking for? God speaks in Genesis one. That's um, part of
1: it. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: you mentioned other you mentioned other um, mythologies, and
1: mm-hmm.
2: it strikes me that in compare, like there is God is not giving birth to creation in like an anatomical kind of right. image, right? Right. Uh, God is just speaking, and yes. the things come forth.
1: Yes. Very good. No battle,
2: no no war, as in some of the other stories.
1: Yes, no ripping apart of the dragon Tiamat and making stuff out of her spine. Um,
0: <laughs> as rock and roll as that story is, <laughs> yeah, correct? It's we'll not...
1: leave that in our D and D session. I mean, if um, we think of
0: the warrior imagery, the sword separates things, mm. and then the new life fills things.
1: Ooh, maybe. Okay. Okay. Oh, interesting. Uh, how does Adam? specifically get formed i guess adam is tiamat in that version because he does get a rib ripped out but it's it's gentle ish (laughs) but how gentle adjacent gentle adjacent yes the word for uh a fell asleep there is like a heavy sleep dropped on him like an anvil so it's not that it's not that gentle god didn't like sing him a lullaby and tuck him in the Um, first
0: anesthesiologist (laughs) just
1: you're like
2: Wiley Coyote with the yes. and the stars and the birds like <laughs> rotate like circling above his boop, head. Boop,
1: boop. Yep, totally. Okay, but how did other than that? How did God um, bring Adam into being
2: from the dust?
1: Mm-hmm. And then he formed breath breathing. There we go. Breath. breath breathing. So we've got voice and we've got breath. Uh, warriors and women in birth both do their work using their voice. And their breath. Right. Very important part of martial arts of all kinds uh, is utilizing the energy of your voice and then also keeping track of your breaths, um, whether that's hand to hand or um, using a weapon or very certainly with shooting. Right. Um, Women in birth, of course, integral to the whole thing. Is the breath and the voice like it sounded like you guys were alluding to um, with your spouses. I know someone who sang the whole of Handel's Messiah um, during her birth instead of doing other things. <laughs>
2: Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know, like you said, other uh, every woman's birthing story is uh, her own. They're all different. Um, But in w- with with our children being born, when I think about Leanne, like so in the text, they're crying out. Mm hmm. It's not like a whimpering. Yes,
1: Victorian like, woman on a chaise.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, not that. <laughs> it was like guttural, you yes. know, and I would say it's actually much closer to the warrior, you know, shouting right. than it is something that is like weak and puny. Yes, yes. it's not a lullaby. Yes. Yes. No, it's not like a it's like <gasps> <gasps> yes. sorry. I'm sure all of the listeners will love
1: that. That experience. Uh yeah, the ASMR of Reed's uh reenactment of Leanne's birth stories. <laughs> Just what we all signed up for. Uh but yeah, unlike even in lots of films, it's not crying out. It is this more guttural, primal summoning all your energy to do something incredibly difficult, right? (laughs) Okay. So breath is frequently a fierce rather than soft image in Hebrew poetry. A couple examples of that. Psalm 18, blast of your nostrils. Isaiah 30, his fiery breath lights a pyre. Um, Earlier in Isaiah 42, even, so the same passage we're looking at, breath withers and wilts plant life and kingdoms. Um, Even the KJV Says, uh, instead of I cry out, gasp, and pan like the NIV does, it says, I will destroy and devour at once, which is <laughs> pretty different. Um so we might think of breath in a different way culturally as a soft thing like oh we're bringing adam to life ha ah, you know
2: <laughs> but, That is interesting because that is actually how i have typically pictured this scene is something like quieter and more intimate right. uh where god breathes and i i like that image but i think it's it's adding a whole new angle to think about it as what if it is this gale force kind of breath as opposed to like a sweet nothings kind of breath yeah
1: i love it i love both of those but um i love that idea uh okay so she is here placed with the warrior this uh maternal image is placed with the warrior because of the power of the voice and the power of the breath um there is, if we're going to get practical here, um, something mystical that we just might take seriously about the use of our own voice. If God creates the universe by speaking things into being, and Jesus also, when he's on earth doing wild stuff, he just says it. Um, you know, if he's healing people, he's not like, Okay, here's a twelve week program, you have to come back to prayer night <laughs> every night, make sure you do all this stuff first and then like we'll make a little more progress. He just says, uh, you are well. The end, right? So he um changes the world around him that way. God does that way. Um, not trying to make a formula by any means, any hard and fast rules, but I think there's an invitation in there for us to think about how do we use our breath, how do we use our voice? Are we complaining, gossiping, criticizing, casting negative forecasts, pulling the one negative P out of the goodness mattress? <laughs> or are we praying, praising, encouraging, speaking life over ourselves and others? Because that is how God creates and that's how Jesus worked, right? Lazarus come out.
2: I think about this when I think about wedding vows. I mm-hmm. actually often talk about this when I officiate at weddings. And I think we, we kind of know this, that like when we speak a and this works for all kinds of promises, but I kind of think of the wedding vow as a particularly sacred kind of promise where you are creating something new, you know? And sometimes people ask me like, well, when, are, when when people get married, when are they married? You know, is it like, do you have to sign a piece of paper and then you're married or whatever it so is? It's when it's
1: filed with the state, actually. That's right. the most when, important. When,
2: when the recorder of deeds has received within 14 days the signed <laughs> marriage license from the officiant. Yes. Uh, but to, for me, it always goes back to when you speak this language in this way, now you have, like, now there is this family. And before there wasn't, and now there is. And so that kind of speech with, wedding vows, uh, with uh, various promises that we make. Like if you, uh, if as a parent, you've ever made a promise to your child and you know they don't forget those things, it has shaped like a new sort of world for them. Like, oh, yeah. this is going to happen. Mama,
1: because you said we were going to have ice cream on Shabbat. Where's the ice cream exactly <laughs> it's a serious problem,
2: and then, if you don't show up with the ice cream, it does a kind of destructive violence to this world that had been created for them yes so and and in lots of more other serious ways, and I'm like all the other examples that you pointed out about the way that we use our speech to. Right. Like the way I think about the way that teachers and coaches mm. uh, that I've seen use their words to bring out something new in my child, mm. you know, and now there is this new confidence or this new spirit or this new, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: And vice versa, how things that a coach or a teacher or a parent said to you decades ago absolutely still lingers in the back of your mind. Um, and that person probably doesn't remember that they said that thing and it was probably in a moment that it went by. But how can we... Mm-hmm. book a James style have intentionality, um, in our mouths. Right.
2: Yeah. I've had more than a couple of students who I have pastored through dealing with that kind of woundedness from right. coaches in high school sports.
1: Rough. Ugh, it sucks. I have to like pass a test in order to be a
0: coach. This is so much lower stakes than everything that you guys have just said. But the other night Maggie was sitting there and, uh, Maggie, for context, has very long hair. So to wash her hair it's is like this this uh, very complicated process. And she does all this stuff because we have really hard water, blah, blah, blah. So she's sitting there. She's like, I really ought to wash my hair, but I don't really want to. And I was like, why not? And she's like, well, you know, I've got to do all this. But if I don't do it now, then I've got this thing and I'm going to regret not doing it for that. And I was like, well, just go do it. And she's like, yeah, but I just don't want to. And I leaned in close to her and I was like, get up. <laughs> Oh, no. Which is not how I normally talk to her. And it was like, you know, the perfect motivation for her. She was like giddy that I would <laughs> say that. And like, she was so motivated. She still, she was still talking about it days later. <laughs> wow. So yeah, the voice I has just, this power. Sad. Like if you, if you use it in an intentional way, like you can motivate people to do all sorts of things. I got big Jesus and Lazarus vibes there, Brent, when you said, get up. I was actually quoting Trinity from The Matrix. Oh, yeah. What a movie.
1: (laughs) What a journey.
0: Maggie didn't catch the reference, but it still worked.
1: It still worked. What a journey. Uh, Learn new things every day. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh,
0: I should be quoting. (laughs) I should be quoting Jesus, (laughs) right? But nope. Instead, you quoted Trinity. You
2: got all three in one. I mean, still theological.
1: All right. Why does Isaiah or pseudo-Isaiah utilize this image? It's because in the Hebraic mindset, or at least when we think about the nature of birth and birthing women, to Isaiah, these things go together. One who risks life to defend life and one who risks life to bring in new life. Both images can be contained in the image of God and can be used instructively for us. That kind of breath, that kind of power is something that uh, God feels suitable to compare God's self to. Our next passage is in Isaiah 49.
0: Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your children hasten back, and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your children gather and come to you.
1: So good. Okay. Why does this passage utilize this maternal image to describe God? gentlemen?
2: I mean, my first thought was because there isn't a paternal equivalent to breastfeeding. This is something that is <laughs> uh, wholly unique. Mm. And I think, in, again, a very powerful um, just phenomenon that a lot of meaning can be drawn from... Nursing as well as uh giving birth, labor, and all of that mm-hmm. um the, those those carry a certain freight and uh, their particular kind of human experience that there's that's that only can be maternal that only can be um you know female
1: yeah, the uh Christian mystics of the medieval era certainly. Felt very comfortable drawing lots of pictures from that. We're going to table the nursing portion for Isaiah 66 because it's more explicit over there. Okay. Um, But I still appreciate it. Um, Still good. Any other things jump to mind for you guys? Why this specific image? I I like the line, your children
0: hasten back um, at, uh, you know, the speed at which... It's sometimes me, but especially Maggie, my my children will run when they are distressed in some way or another.
1: It's adorable. I love that. I miss my kids. I'm leaving. No. I <laughs> this podcast I is I think over.
2: of I mean to me the I think of the significance of connectedness of the bond yeah. um that is inherent in the 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 baby at the breast. Mm-hmm. Um And just, again, even recalling pregnancy, uh, that incredible phenomenon of a person within a person. Um, Actually, have you ever heard of, uh, I was talking to Leanne about this as well, this is a big medical word, um, fetomaternal (laughs) microchimerism?
1: I mean, I recognize all of those uh, phonemes, but no, I haven't heard of it.
2: So this idea of microchimerism is that like, There is an exchange of cells between um, like in this case, like a child and its mother Mm -hmm. um, in and that are actually like the child will leave cells in the mother when the child is born. And that these cells that are distinct to the child, they've I was reading about this online. They can. And if people are biomedical experts, they can totally like correct me on this because I am by no means any such thing. But what Internet tells me is that these uh, this this exchange of cells can last for like they can be present for decades after birth. And so like when when mothers talk about, you know, a part of their child is like within them like that. We can take that at a biological. We can take that at a biological level. But anyway, just thinking about like
1: feels very metal, by the way, like full metal alchemist metal.
2: uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. But just, yeah, thinking about this this uh, this intense bond connection that exists uh, between the baby and the mother that I think you need the baby and mother to really get across mm-hmm. in a way that paternal images can't quite do. Right. Because we don't see that part of the
1: process like we experience birth. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, yeah. I love all that. Um I think... God is described in this passage as fierce, committed, warm, affectionate, a biologically ingrained love, which no amount of baby poop can reverse, right? It's just like in the DNA. I think that can be helpful for us when we're thinking about God and so much of us struggle with uh, achievement-based relationship um, or transactional relationship. That uh, that picture of motherhood um, can be helpful when navigating that within ourselves. Um, And then there's even space that God makes saying, look, not all of us had great mothers um, and that's a part of life. And even if that was the case for you, I'm not that. Um, And I think that's beautiful. But Mm -hmm. I'm going to use this open door to pop through and talk about Raham. Uh, Rav David Foreman has a lovely teaching about Raham and Aleph Beda that folks should go listen to. Um, you guys familiar with the concept of Raham? Steadfast love and Raham. You guys recognize that pairing? What's it usually translated as?
2: Your... Chesed? Is that the Chesed is that steadfast
1: is the... love? Chesed is steadfast love, yes. And Raham is usually partnered with it. So... The uh steadfast level will never be complete. Raham will never come to an end, but is new every morning. What's that noun? What's it usually translated? Oh, mercy? Mercy. mercy yeah. Yes, it's often translated as mercy. Um th- the word mercy brings in lots, at least for me, <laughs> of legal connotations, right? Of guilt and badness meant by, well, I guess I'm gonna let you go. But when I uh the word raham... Um, is actually just the word for womb. Full stop. Um, so in Genesis and other places, when we have these conversations about fertility, like uh, the longer section about Leah and Rachel's fertility, the conversation is all about their raham. So it's just uterus. It is not. It's not like well, if you go back in the root, it's the same word. Same word, racham, God's racham, um, is constantly mes- mentioned. God's racham is constantly mentioned all over Scripture. So how do we translate that? Because it is weird to say his womb will never come to an end, but is new every morning. Um, uh, so what is the word, really, if it's not mercy? It, at least that's not a helpful translation for me that I don't really see in the original Hebrew. Um when I see myself or a pregnant friend walk by, I don't think, wow, what a merciful person that is, um, unless it's in really dire circumstances, right? Um, I tend to pair the chesed with steadfast love um, with compassion is my favorite translation for that. So what pairs with compassion, because God always puts these next to each other, what fits with these other verses? I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion i will have racham upon whom i will have racham that's exodus 33 um earlier in isaiah 49 we've got for the lord has comforted his people and will have racham on his afflicted so i personally like to choose the word nurturing um why (laughs) why nurturing because the uterus the womb is expansive right throughout pregnancy it goes from the size of a fist to a watermelon it's very expansive. it is the first provider, right? A woman's blood volume increases 50% during pregnancy, um, which gets shuttled over to the baby. Um, it is a safe place, right? The womb has this incredible self-sealing mechanism that keeps the baby safe from bacteria, etc. All of that to me, expansiveness, safety, provision, to me, uh, the love contained in that specifically, I would call nurturing. Um, thoughts before I continue on in my little exploration here.
2: Uh, just, just, no, I, the thought that I have is that every, everything about the, the womb is like only directed towards the life of the baby, you know, Mm -hmm. the, of growing this, of growing this life and pushing it out into the world, uh, to give birth to something. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. And that it is, like you said, constant unceasing in its work to do this. It never stops doing its work, even like when the mother is sleeping or resting, like the the body always will keep, uh, you know, funneling all of those nutrients in and all of the blood and the oxygen and everything that is needed,
1: even at the expense of the mother. Um, Yeah, which some of us experience more than others. (laughs) But uh, Foreman has this great thing, therefore, about how like, if the womb is an apartment for a baby waiting to come into the world, that therefore our world is like our apartment and eternity is like blasting out into the other side. Um, outside yeah. of our apartment. And if Mr. Basse was here, he would bring out all of the birth imagery and the Eden story and how that was kind of an original womb space for us.
0: Well, I like thinking of the temporary nature of the womb as a dwelling place. Like, its is there any... Connection with tabernacle imagery.
1: Mm, I like where your head's at. Not etymologically. The word there is abide and the picture behind the word for tabernacle is like an animal settling onto all fours when it gets cozy, like onto its haunches, you know, like cats.
0: If you don't know what a palace's cat is and its behavior. I don't. I'll put a link in the show notes for a little video to show you what it does.
1: I'm not a cat person, but I I'm will. not
0: either. But this behavior is kind of hilarious slash cute depending on your perspective
1: okay well i'll look forward to it what is radical and exciting to me other than these beautiful images that we're contemplating here is when we get back to the conversation of god and gender if god's like right he's this is anthropomorphization god doesn't actually have a uterus um but if god does have racham he does have nurturing that means if god's Pronouns are masculine, right? There is nothing inherently unmasculine about being nurturing. If we were to model our masculinity off of God rather than the horrifying carousels we see on the Internet. Um,
0: or in our churches.
1: Or in our churches. which yeah. Yeah. Or families. All sorts of places. Communities. Culture. Uh, okay. So if we're going to model our masculinity off of God... We are not segregating fatherhood, therefore, to tough love, teaching sports, <laughs> hard life lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, in this image of God and whose shadow we're created, there is a mandate toward nurturing for all parents and even folks who aren't parents, right? We can all be expanses. We can all tenderly provide. We can all be cozy, safe places for others to grow. Uh, this might feel like life for men out there who have struggled to fit in with a more hardened um you know muscular incarnation of fatherhood or masculinity and maybe it's a challenge for some of us for whom that posture comes all too easily and that's okay too but you guys are both fathers i'm not any thoughts
2: yes this seems it seems obvious to me that this should be the case, and yet there are like a thousand million complicated reasons why it's not obvious for many people why men should also be uh, examples of nurturing and gentleness, and why women can also and should be also examples of toughness and resolve and right. you know those uh, that's it, it comes from both places uh it seems to me that uh <sighs> There's a potential for uh, this is maybe uh, too much of a sidebar, but potential for like things to really break down interpersonally for men and women when one is supposed to only be this thing or is supposed to do this all the time and the other one is expected to do this other thing all the time. Um, and instead this idea of like the two leaning on each other and yes, we all have differences in our personalities and our temperaments. Um, but being able to both like balance out what may be like weaker in your partner, but also like not just but you're, you're balancing and also you're helping to encourage and grow that in them. Like we become right. more like one and I, and, and healthy marriage relationships. I think there is, there, there, there ought to be ways where we are learning and growing from one, one another, another, where I am becoming more like Leanne and Leanne is
1: becoming more like me. Um, yeah, totally. And then you start to look like each other, <laughs> SUH, right? Just a cool <laughs> biological phenomenon. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. Um, when we try to occupy archetypes of ourselves rather than who God made us to be, the the humanity of ourselves comes into tension with that archetype, and um, tension can come out of that, and disappointment and frustration can come out of that.
0: I don't know whether it's an instinct or whatever it is, but like I do have this desire to be nurturing to my boys in general. But then it doesn't always like work the way I want it to. <laughs> and then it's so frustrating. And do you like, not
1: know that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance?
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to do that because it's like, well, that didn't, that didn't produce the result that I was trying to get. So, so that must not be the right way to do it mm, or whatever.
1: Yeah. You know, maybe your kids remembering you being nurturing is more important than the result that is. <laughs> occurring at the moment, just an idea.
0: It, I mean, I agree with you. It's just difficult to remember that in the moment sometimes.
1: Absolutely, Slash most of the time. Slash most of the time. Okay, well, let's look at our third image together. Unless Can I say one more something. thing? Yeah. Sorry, totally. I,
2: I did uh, this uh, when I think about fathers and mothers and who ought to be what. Um, I think about. There's a passage in. Uh, First Thessalonians, I um, believe it's in chapter two, where um, Paul is saying, uh, we were like mothers among you, and mm-hmm. we were like fathers mm-hmm. among you. Um and there is like a kind of stereotypical division of like a mother with nur- who is nursing her children. We cared for you. Um, and then as fathers, we encouraged and we exhorted you mm-hmm. to walk in a manner that is worthy. Um, But th- the point here is that both of those are being embodied in the same person. Like, so if you think of those traits as masculine and feminine, if you think of like I'm gonna teach you to walk in the right way as a man thing, and if you think of i'm gonna nurture you as a woman thing uh those things are still both residing in the apostles ministry there uh so it's not like well because this is a masculine uh trait only men or it's only men who should do this no it, whether you can again you can call it masculine call it feminine, but both men and women can embody both of those things. And I think should strive to.
1: Thank you. Fantastic. Yeah. Last image here, Isaiah 66. This is a very, like, just sitting at the table, having a cup of tea, having a cup of coffee with Brent Reed and Elle thinking about parenthood. Okay, here we go.
0: Mm. Hear that uproar from the city. Hear that noise from the temple. It is the sound of the Lord repaying his enemies all they deserve. Before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Well, that's a, that's a, a twist. Yeah. <laughs> Who has ever heard of such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. Do I bring to the moment of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Do I close up the womb when I bring to delivery, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice greatly with her. All you who mourn over her. For you will nurse and be satisfied at her comforting breasts. You will drink deeply and delight in her overflowing abundance. For this is what the Lord says. I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream you will nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees as a mother comforts her child so will i comfort you and you will be comforted over jerusalem
1: ah i love that and it's the perfect bookend to the beginning of the section right comfort comfort jerusalem and her that her warfare is ended etc and then it ends with this ah so good okay i'm excited Three beautiful images in my mind um, that are all wonderful. We've got a picture of nursing. Technically, before that, we have that picture of like, look, God's doing this thing. Can you be about to give birth and then not? (laughs) No, is the answer. Mm -hmm. If you're wondering, (laughs) your body decides to do it (laughs) for you. I am aware because my... uh, doctor wasn't there yet. And they were like, well, if you could slow down, that's not an option on the menu for me today. Um, I would love to accommodate you, but that's not happening. Okay, so we got that picture. I want to focus on the nursing, the born upon her sides and the dandled upon her knees. So um, so first off, nursing. Reed uh, sketched this out for us earlier. Nursing imagery to me is kind of similar to womb, except for there's more reasons to nurse other than just to provide sustenance, right? Parents out there know that you can nurse a baby or bottle feed. Absolutely no judgment, no shame.
0: Mm-hmm. Sometimes co- you don't have a choice.
1: Lots of times <laughs> you don't have a choice. Yeah, to uh, but you can nurse or feed a baby to calm them down, to comfort them when they're upset or afraid, to help them find rest and go to sleep, even just to connect with the baby and experience closeness, right? That's something they try to do now um, as soon as the baby is born for a reason, Uh I, I love imagining God that way, that God wants that withness with us, which is similar to the next image, that born upon her side, right? Baby on the hip, where mom goes, the baby goes. Um, we just passed a year with our second baby, Eva. And we just passed the milestone um, where she doesn't have to be like with me constantly for nursing. And it's um, kind of amazing and kind of sad all at the same time. But that kind of closeness, it's such a sweet season because the baby is, you know, in a carrier or a wrap or on your hip. And there's so many forehead kisses and cooing and all these things constantly. There's nothing impressive that the baby is doing right now. They got big poops and that's about it. Uh, they're not even smiling for a long season. So there's, Their heads
2: are just rolling every which way if you don't support them. <laughs>
1: right. So there is no accomplishment a baby can whip out that would impress God, right? There's nothing that we can do um, to earn that, to impress God, to make an impression upon our deity, to be like, mm, this, this guy right here, look at that. Great. Right? Uh, a baby doesn't need to make a recitation of the day's wrongs before the baby's carried around by their mom. Um, and we shouldn't lose track of that facet of the companionship of God. It's not just a philosophical omnipresence like, well, God is everywhere all the time. And that apparently also means here in this room because logic. Um, and it's not a God with us that looms like a bodyguard just tailing us around and counting our errors and being like... I saw that. I saw that thought. You're thinking a lot of yourself right now, aren't you? Uh, mm-hmm. Every breath that we take is taken from the hip of God, right? And he wants us there just like in nursing, not just to sustain us and keep us alive as he's, you know, hanging all of our electrons <laughs> in every every tiny um, atom of our body. But he also wants that closeness just to be close, just for that, just uh, to comfort us, to help us find rest, to help us go to sleep, just to connect with us, that in itself is a huge part of motherhood, right? It's not just a mission. And my goal is to raise healthy, happy, um, godly kids, right? But but that's not like my daily all right. What, what's our checklist? I love being with my kids um, and just being with them and that's it full stop. and I think we can forget that about God and I think that's why these maternal images are uh, woven into the story, right This isn't the only, section in the Bible where we have maternal images. But the last one in this particular section is translated by the NIV, Dandled on God's Knees, um, which I love. My son loved just being chucked into the air versus my daughter is more of a spinner. Um, but they both love the classic knee bounce, usually with a fun song. And God's love is playful um, according to this particular verse. Some of us know this and experience it regularly, but for some of us who either had a daunting austere theology or distant parents, this can be hard to imagine um, that every moment does not have to be geared toward tests or disciplines or past fails or trials of various kinds. Um, it can just be play and being with God and laughing with God not in an esoteric peace or an absence of anxiety, but joy, Is a natural accompaniment of the withness of God. So here's the application, which might be a challenge for. A lot of us, um, especially if we enjoy the Baymouth podcast and therefore might just feel fine and dandy keeping things in the intellectual or worse, philosophical realm.
0: (laughs) Shots fired.
2: Fine and and dandled, would you say? Fine and dandled (laughs) keeping things in the, maybe it can
0: be both?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And you can play intellectually. That's certainly the case um but sometimes we do that because we don't want to venture as CS Lewis put it further up and further in into this f- spiritual frontier right um it's safer in our happy little brain cages where we're just talking about stuff so can we be people who yet who say yes to being open to when even pursuing being provided for comforted and calmed by the metaphorical nursing of God? Can we find rest and sleep in God's arms? Can we enjoy the withness of being carried on the hip of God? Can we while away time being delighted by the playfulness of God? Can we choose to believe that he wants to spend time with us in that way and that he has marked us to receive it? The end, that's the invitation.
2: I was just, that's a a really good invitation. Uh, I was thinking about, you know this idea of like God's got an army and we are like soldiers in God's army. And we're a bunch of I, but but then I was thinking about what if we were babies in God's nursery? You know, <laughs> like what if we what if we made songs about that and T-shirts about that? Uh, I think I think I would get some delight in that for sure.
1: Yeah, a thousand percent.
2: Yeah, that's really good. I think uh, I love the there is like a a really good and benevolent, like, and I use this word in a positive way, like condescension. Yeah. In the way, and the way that like a mother condescends to her child, like you were saying, <clears throat> uh we don't have to, recite some incredible soliloquy to be, to impress. And, and beyond that, even just the little coup that a baby gives will like the parents will give all of the attention to that and like, Oh my gosh, listen to you, you know? And even the way that like at the end of the passage here, it talks about God comforting as a mother comforts her child. And I think about the kinds of things that uh, parents and mothers comfort their children about. And, you know, a lot of them, the response could be, uh, you know you need to just you're <laughs> fine you're <laughs> fine, and there's a time and a place but also uh i and i I think we though some of us have a con- concept of God that is, it's always that time and place where God's response is always like, you're fine, toughen up. Like, you know. Right, right. And instead, like, it can be something even trivial, and yet God can be comforting and, you know, just kind of feeling that out, discerning God's presence and experience with God. And that is, it's important to think about both sides of that.
1: Yes. Yes, there's times when God's calling us to maturity, but that doesn't mean that it's always in this framework of like, toughen up. My son came running into my room this morning saying, Daddy took all my cars away. (laughs) And knowing that George is not a vengeful deity... There's probably a reason for that. Right. Mm. Uh, But I didn't lead with like, well, what do you do? Three year old to deserve such a just punishment. (laughs) I (laughs) led with, oh, no, what happened? (laughs) But it wasn't like, get out of my room. I'm sure you deserved it. It was come here. That sounds really hard. Tell me about it. What can we do next time to make sure we get to keep playing with our cars
0: okay that does it for this episode Marty will be back next week to close this entire series but I think this is a good like supplementary thing to go back and consider some of the passages that we've looked at over the last couple weeks and consider some things that we didn't look at very closely or didn't look at at all like there's so much more in Isaiah to explore so yeah do do your own digging look at look at these images consider how they I mean as we talked about there's so many different. Uh, ways that a birth story can go There's so many different ways that parenting can go All of these images are going to Work in different ways for different people So get in a discussion group Or get together with somebody and like Wrestle through these things and maybe Some of these things are actually not encouraging To you at all and, they, and they're and they actually More painful and like how do you process through that Like get in community and, and work Through that so mm-hmm. we'll have a Couple things in the show notes for this Episode you can go to com To find that you'll find ways to get in touch All the things you need are on the website. So thanks for joining us on the baby mom podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. I asked Maggie if she cares if I share the get up story and she said, please do.
1: Okay, great. I love that for you.